If you're visiting us for the first time, whether you're here in person or online, my name is Efren Peña. I am the campus pastor here at South Hills, and my prayer today is that God would grab a hold of your heart and take you on an incredible experience. Today, we are kicking off a brand, brand new series titled Defeating Depression. And here's the thing. Truth be told, a lot of churches won't touch this. A lot of churches do not want to touch this because it is a, it's a topic, it's almost like a taboo topic like sex, right? Um, and then when we talk about sex, people have babies here. And so, <laughs> so, uh, so we try to kind of put those in steps. We don't, you know, I'm all about church growth, but I get blamed every single time. Uh, but today we want to talk about depression, depression, because it's a word that a lot of people don't want to talk about, or don't want to, especially within the church, uh, because the truth of the matter is that it is real. And, has it, and it is impacting people everywhere, people that we know, people that we love and that we care about. In fact, it might be impacting you today here this morning. And so I want to give a disclaimer, uh, just kind of set it out there. Today, by coming today or coming through the rest of this series, we're not going to be able to answer all of your questions. Uh, I, I am not qualified to, I'm not a doctor, I didn't study this, right, I put together, we put together a series uh, of, of kind of topics that will spark talk conversations, that will spark, you know, uh, opportunities for you to look for help, and we have those uh, people, and we have those uh, areas where we can point you to, uh, but today you're not going to leave here, man, I got all the answers I needed, that's just, that doesn't work that way. Right, this is a process, and we're gonna bring we're gonna bring the spotlight on it. We're gonna talk about it. We're gonna get in there. It's gonna get uncomfortable over the next few weeks in here. We're not gonna try to shy anything. We're not gonna try to make it look good or make it look different than what it really is. In this room, I know there are professionals in here that know a lot more than I do about this uh, this situation. And so we just want to take kind of the, the lid off the jar, if you would, and kind of bring it out and begin conversations. Begin conversations and start pointing people to kind of where they can get help, right? And maybe, maybe even you know someone that, that may need the help where you can take this and bring them the little bit that you know and kind of help them get the help that they need, all righty? So let's, uh, let's talk about this. And uh, should you have questions, concerns, or anything, feel free to reach out to me uh, sometime during the week. Again, we're gonna, this is a five-week series, a five-week series. And so we're going we're gonna to jump into that, all righty? So all of us, all of us know someone suffering from severe anxiety or depression. Whether we know it or not, we know someone, right? But statistically, the truth of the matter is that very people seek help for it. It's something we don't want to admit to others, maybe even ourselves. And technically, what's severe anyway? What is severe anxiety anyway? So, we suffer in isolation, imagining the crippling sadness will somehow disappear as suddenly as it's descended upon us. But when it doesn't, right, when it doesn't go away, and the days turn into weeks and months or maybe even years, what do we do then? How do we, how do we battle this? What's our next step? Are we doomed? 
Or are there ways to defeat depression? And that's what this series is, is going to be about. And so we're going to start off on the ground floor, right? We're going to start off on the ground floor with a message titled, What Does Depression Actually Look Like? Right? What does depression actually look like? Let me ask you this. Ever witness a shocking breakdown, a public shocking, uh, a shocking public breakdown? before, whether that was somebody you know or maybe kind of people that are in the spotlight all of the time, right? Maybe people um, that you've seen or you're familiar, like maybe Britney Spears or um, Jason Russell, right? And most recently, Will Smith. We refer to these things as acting out or a cry for help or a, a breakdown. And the language that, is, that we're using here today is, is very helpful because in its simplistic form kind of gives you a picture of, of what it is, right? It's an undeniable external evidence of an in, uh, ongoing internal battle. So we act out, we have a breakdown or a cry for help because there's something internally that's going on inside of us, right, that we kind of bring it out to the surface. Something's been eating away at them on the inside and suddenly their private struggle becomes public. Does that make sense? They're acting out when uh, they're acting out what's been locked up deep inside them. They're demonstrating on the outside the sort of crying they've been doing on the inside. And so the ability to hold it inside kind of breaks. The dam kind of breaks. And now it is spilling outward. And it is, it is exposed. Now, Truth be told, we are fascinated and frightened by these moments. And what we find ourselves wondering is, how? How did that happen? And how did they get, or, or excuse me, how, well, yeah, how and why did they get to that point? We do this with people close to us who experience breakdowns on a smaller scale, like when a friend suddenly snaps at a restaurant. Man, we were, we were all having a great time. The food was delicious. The drink was perfect. And all of a sudden, ba 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 went on a... She's acting crazy, right? Or, or someone runs out and cheats on their spouse or is suddenly hospitalized for a damaged liver for a drinking issue that... They've been hiding. In the aftermath, many of these people say things like, man, I haven't been doing well for a while now, but I didn't know who to go to or what to say or how to slow down my life or shrug off any of the unrealistic expectations on me. And I didn't want to be a burden on anyone. I didn't want people to think bad of me. I was embarrassed and I had hoped that it would just go away. That I could handle it on my own. Oftentimes, friends, we, we don't realize 
how depressed someone else is until they have a breakdown. And we go home and we say, well, did you know? I didn't know. I never would have thought that. I, like, that just came out of the blue. Like, because we don't know. Sometimes we don't even realize how depressed we are until we have a breakdown. You see, we're good. We're good at hiding sadness from others and even ourselves. I'm not really good at that, though. I get in the car with Noah after a practice or a game, and she goes, Dad, what's wrong? I was like, nah. She goes, Dad, something's wrong. I'm like, nothing's wrong. But we have this uncanny knack to kind of be good at hiding the way we feel or the sadness from the people that we love and care about, and even ourselves, to be honest. You see, people struggling with depression get really good at constructing facades to simply survive, to just get to the next day and the next day and the next day after that. They put on a, a, a self that is confident and witty and outgoing and masked just to, just to mask the part of them that's weak, frightened, and feels like a failure. Because, you see, they're convinced that if other people knew what was really going on inside of them, what was really going on in their life, right, happening to them, that they would be rejected. And as much as we'd like to say, man, that's not true, that's not true, and they won't reject you, truth is that sometimes that is true. Not everyone can handle the full weight of your issues. Not everyone is prepared to take that on. And so, so we do whatever we have to do to hide our hurt inside so that we can continue to function, to continue running our errands, continue taking the kids to soccer practice, right? To go and, 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 and do the shopping and, and, and do the job that's ahead of us. And we continue to hold it inside so that we can function, not make a scene or alert or inconvenience others. But meanwhile, we're quietly dying inside and a breakdown is brewing it is brewing within us ready to break in the book the noonday demon right in which it examines depression in personal cultural and scientific terms it states that the onset of depression is a lot like heart disease I want you to just follow along with me here this morning. That the onset of depression is a lot like heart disease. It's caused by a complex of factors, including genetic predisposition or tendencies, emotional factors like how we handle stress and habits like diet and exercise. You don't catch heart disease. Right? You don't catch heart disease from an infection. You develop it gradually over time as plaque builds in your arteries, right? 
But one day you cross an invisible threshold marked by standards of blood pressure and cholesterol levels. You now, unfortunately, have heart disease, often made evident by a heart attack, a physical breakdown. And now you're going to have to deal with this condition for the rest of your life. Yesterday, you were technically normal and things were good. There was no questions. There were no doubts. But today, you're in a battle. You're in a fight for your life. Now, logically, we know it's, why, it's not wise to just treat uh, uh, heart attacks as they happen. We want to treat the things that cause heart attacks. We want to prevent them from happening when we can. We want to address the, uh, the underlying issues. That's the, that's the smart move. That's the, the best way to go about it. But the truth of the matter is that we don't always do that. We don't always take that route. And we do the same with depression, friends. We often wait until there's a breakdown to get help instead of looking for and dealing with the things that cause depression. And just like waiting till a heart attack happens to deal with heart disease, sometimes, sometimes it's just too late. Sometimes people don't recover from a heart attack and some don't bounce back from breakdowns. In fact, statistically, roughly 15%, 15% of people who struggle with depression commit suicide. That's 15% too much, if you ask me. So when it comes to depression, what are we actually looking for? What are we actually looking? I think that's a great question. And I think it's really hard to answer because depression manifests itself in different ways and in different types of people. There's no clear-cut equation to what it looks like and, and how it plays out in someone's life. Some people, they eat too much. Some starve themselves. Some sleep constantly, and yet some have insomnia. Some can't get out of bed, and some avoid their feelings through constant activity and obsessions and busyness. So let's, let's start here today. Let's start by answering the question, what is depression? And let me give you a general depression. You're going to, you may know the clinical answer to this, but again, I want to keep it simple and I want everybody to kind of follow along here with me. Depression is the experience of long-term joylessness, hopelessness, misery, and inadequacy. So we'll start there. We'll use that as a, as a basis, if you would, right? Hope, uh, depression is the experience of long-term joylessness, hopelessness, miseries, misery, and adequacy, right? Now, 
maybe you've experienced this before, or if you've read up on this before, and you would say, yep, that's, that pretty much kind of sums it. And those feelings are, are bad. So because they're bad, I just try to avoid them altogether. But that's not a, a great solution, guys. That's not a great solution. Emotions are automatic responses. They're neutral, they're natural, and not at all evil. We don't want to uh, demonize them. We want to learn to kind of recognize and feel and deal with our emotions in a healthy manner. We can't just try to avoid it. Right? We need to allow ourselves to feel the way we feel and address why we feel the way we feel. You need the capacity to kind of experience sorrow, grief, pain, and suffering as much as joy and gladness because that's what makes you human. That's what makes us human, to be able to experience all of these feelings, not just the ones we like, right? How many of you go into a certain candy bag Right? And only pick out the ones you like. Right? We were opening, me and Noah in a car, we were leaving practice, and we were opening a bag, uh, a little candy bag that she got, I think it was from Easter, of uh, Sour Patch Kids. And we were fighting to get the red one. <laughs> yeah. And if you ever seen the little mini pack, it only comes with four. <laughs> so you guess who won? I'm the father, I'm the leader. But we kind of do that with our emotions, right? We only like to feel the things that make us feel good, the things that we like. We like to experience joy. We like to experience, like, the happiness. But when it comes to the other things, uh, I don't know about that. Let me tuck that away. Oh, I don't like feeling sad. Let me tuck that away. Oh, look at pain. Mm, I don't, put that to the back. Like, and we just kind of want to walk around like it's a kumbaya moment everywhere we go. And so we keep stacking and stuffing it back and further back until eventually something happens because we didn't address it. We didn't pay attention to it. Everyone experiences moments of joylessness, hopelessness, misery, and inadequacy. These occasional feelings are just a natural part of being human. However, when sorrow becomes a way of life, that's not a phase. When sorrow becomes a way of how you do life from day to day, that's not really a phase that you're going through. That is a problem. When you can't remember the last time you enjoyed or looked forward to anything, that is a problem. When your soul feels heavy constantly, that is a problem. When you're sad or for no uh, describable or discernible reason, that is a red flag, right? When no matter how hard you try or fight or work, right, you can't pull yourself out of the, uh, a bad mood, right? When you wake up sad uh, most of the time, right? When dread grow, uh, grows with each passing hour, when nothing you use to, uh, you use, uh, when, excuse me, when um, nothing you use to like seems interesting, 
or enjoyable anymore, when everyone feels distant, when you're tired of all, uh, when you're tired all of the time, but you cannot sleep, when all of your dreams for the future are dead, when all motivation and energy is gone, when even small tasks require you, require just uh, the, the utmost energy from you, right? When you find yourself wishing that you were dead, And when these feelings drag on from weeks on end, I'm sad to say that you are depressed. Now, some of you are thinking, man, pastor, that's a long list of things there. And you're probably right. And then there are others I can't believe that you might know someone who feels exactly how I just described. And yet statistically, the truth of the matter is that you do. There is someone in your circle. There is someone that you're related to. There's someone that you love and care about that is going through this. In fact, many people with severe depression will suffer for years, sometimes decades, before even telling anyone else. And because depression, excuse me, is an unseen illness, it's not always given the credibility as you would to physical abilities or disabilities or sicknesses or diseases. And what makes it less likely than that anyone would want to come out with you is because nobody wants to talk about it. No one wants to admit to suffering from something that other people are going to accuse them of faking. Imagine if, imagine if you had kidney failure and people, people said things like, man, that's all in your head. No, that is all in your head. You're not really sick, right? You just think you are, right? There's nothing wrong with you. In fact, that's a choice you're making right now to have kidney disease. You just made that up, right? Just stop being that way. But that is exactly how we reply to someone who says they're going through some issues mentally that are feeling depressed. So what do we do with that? Right? What do you do with that? Because part of the problem is that we live in a culture that doesn't make a lot of space for this whole realm of emotional experiences. But God has always intended this to be a part of human experience. God wasn't trying to hide this. We see this intent across Scripture. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says, There is a right time for everything, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to harvest, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to destroy, a time to rebuild, a time to cry, a time to laugh, a time to grieve, a time to dance. A time for scattering stones, a time for gathering stones, a time to hug, a time not to hug, 
A time to find, a time to lose, a time for keeping, a time for throwing away, a time to tear, a time to repair, a time to be quiet, and a time to speak up, a time for loving, a time for hating, a time for war, a time for peace. And the idea here in this scripture is that there is a time for these things and we should make time for them. We can't just sweep it under the rug and pretend that it doesn't exist. We cannot just put it in the closet and hide it. Because eventually, when you open that closet, all hell is going to come down on you. The trouble is that a lot of a lot of people would prefer to ignore them or avoid them. In fact, we would prefer for someone else to ignore it and not address it. A time to die, to tear down, to cry, to grieve, to scatter, to walk away desperately search, throw away, to sit in silence, to hate. A lot of us are like, no, thank you. No, no, I don't want to do that. I'd rather be smiley and happy. I don't want to address those things that, that, that I'm really feeling inside. I just I want to put it in the closet. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it with you, with you, or you. I'd rather keep it inside. The truth, the truth is, friends, that denying or avoiding entire aspects of our existence doesn't work very well. These unfelt feelings build up, they boil over, mutate into something else and, else and often bleed out into destructive ways. So why or how does this happen? You see, when we're growing up, we all learn things from our parents, things that are inappropriate or not safe or not productive. So we learn to switch those feelings off. We learn to switch those feelings off. We're not even taught that these feelings, these things formally, we're not even taught these things formally, but informally. We learn that when boys cry, they're made fun of. Or when a girl clearly states what she wants, then she's needy. Or there was no room for your feelings because your narcissistic parents took up all of the physical and the emotional space in the house. Growing up, uh, being raised by my, my mom, who was a single parent, I believe with all my heart she did her best to try to raise a young, responsible man. Basically, she tried to teach me how her brothers were raised many years ago. And so if it was good for them or it worked for them, then it should work for me. Never taking into consideration the world that we were living in today or back when I was a kid. So she said things like, I would come home from a game, and she would say, did you win? 
And I would say no, and she would say, then why are you playing? Right? She felt that there was a certain way to raise me because my dad was not going to be around and she was going to make sure that I toughened up. She believed strongly that if they smack you, smack them harder and don't let them come back up. It worked for a while. But definitely I was taught to keep my emotions in. In fact, don't even let them out. And so now I cry for every movie and TV show there is. This is Us destroys me every time. It's a commercial and I'm still crying. When we're children, we don't see rejection from our parents as an issue that they have. We see it as validation that we are unlovable. These feelings persist into adulthood and we learn, we lean into the unwritten rules that we, that we've learned to survive and live life here, many of which involve us muting, turning off certain feelings. Friends, depression is often the result of lo uh, losing, losing parts of yourself. The gradual numbing of feelings and experiences you've learned aren't okay. And so those feelings come from recovering these missing pieces. Listen, depression exists on a spectrum. It isn't sadness as much as numbness and an inability to experience a full range of emotion from joy and excitement to sadness and grief. So it is a, a spectrum. It exists on a spectrum. Now this, this happens to, quite frankly, all of us. But men, but men especially, because we learn that it's too awkward or unacceptable unaccept to express or experience the feelings associated with depression. So most often, men express sadness through substance abuse. They express sadness through violence and self-destructive behavior. Studies reveal that most men will rather be seen as aggressive than depressive. And if you think this is true in our culture, think of the expectations on masculinity in the sort of ancient tribal culture, uh, culture that many of the Old Testament figures or people that we have read about grew up in back then. That's why the passage from Psalms in, in, that I'm about to read to you is so interesting. Maybe you've read this before, but maybe you haven't. And I want it's not going to be on the screen, uh, but I want you to kind of bookmark it in your mind. It's found in Psalms 88. Right, and this is a lament by uh, He-Man. Right, and it says, "O Jehovah, God of my salvation, I have wept before you day and night. Now hear my prayers. O listen to my cry, for my life is full of troubles, and death draws near me. They say my life is ebbing out, a hopeless case. 
They have left me here to die like those slain on battlefields from whom your mercies are removed. You have thrust me down to the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavy on me. Wave after wave engulfs me. You have made my friends to loathe me, and they have gone away. I am in a trap with no way out. My eyes grow dim with weeping. Each day I beg for your help. O Lord, I reach my pleading hands to you for mercy. Soon it will be too late. Of what use are your miracles when I am in the grave? How can I praise you then? Can those in the grave declare your loving kindness? Can you proclaim your faithfulness? Can the darkness speak of your miracles? Can anyone in the land of forgetfulness talk about your help? O Lord, I plead for my life and will keep on pleading day to day. O Jehovah, why have you thrown my life away? Why are you turning your face from me and looking the other way? From my youth, I have been sickly and ready to die. I stand helpless before your terrors. Your fierce wrath has overwhelmed me. Your terrors have cut me off. They flow around me all day long. Lover, Friend, acquaintance, all are gone. There is only darkness everywhere. You read that and it's like, this part of scripture is dark. Whereas most of Psalms, right, (laughs) end up with some kind of hope, some kind of direction, right? This one concludes with, with darkness surrounds me. Darkness is everywhere. Not exactly what you would expect from a man called He-Man. Right? And yet, as sad as this passage is, it's included in Scripture. In fact, it is an inspired Word of God. This is something God wanted us to read. Did you take that, right? If it's in his word, it's something that he wanted us to read, to chew on, to sit in, to soak in. In fact, it goes beyond that. This is a worship song sung in the temple. People gathered and sang this collectively. Why? Why would they do that? Because it was to create a safe space for them, a safe space to explore the tough things of life, to surface, to confess, and process those feelings alongside others, to find a way forward together. When I was a kid growing up, I went to Catholic school, so I had to go to Catholic church. And there was times where we would get allowed to go into the church, and it was dark and creepy inside there. Like, there was, like, statues, and you felt like they were looking at you wherever they walked, right? I'll be honest with you. There was nothing that when you stepped in there that felt invigorating, that felt full of life. It was dark. It was sad. I felt hope. It was just, like, gloomy in there. But in these ancient tabernacles, It was 
where you went to explore and express your feelings. And that's the first step I want to tell you today, right? When you're emotionally dragging bottom, don't stuff it. Don't try to suppress it. Don't try to put it away. Surface it around safe people of faith who can validate it and help you through it. Sometimes we, I'm going off note here, but sometimes we need to make a survey of our friends and look around us and ask ourselves, are these the people that I want to give my life to? In other words, are these the people that I'm willing to hang out with that are, gonna, that are going to be by my side when I need it the most? Because if they're not, then you need to find a whole group of new friends. Because you, in times like this, you need to be around people that you feel safe. That are going to have your best interests in mind. That are going to help you. And maybe you're thinking, man, Pastor, that's great. We're not going to hide this part of ourselves from each other. Right? But what's next? What's next? Because the truth of the matter is, Pastor, I've got a real problem here. And just acknowledging it, it's not going to fix it. What's next? So over these next few weeks, we're going to do our best to give you some practical help, right? Things that, that I'm going to be able to share with you throughout this rest of this series, that things that you can begin to apply right now on the surface and begin to kind of move in the direction that you need to go to. But the truth of the matter is that it's going to take a lot more than just coming here every Sunday. There are things that we are going on your card, on your seat right there, right? They're, they're, the card here that you have there. We're going to be talking about why don't people who are suffering seek help. We're going to address why can't depressed people just snap out of it. What are the, what are the people getting, uh, be- getting better doing? And what if someone I'm close to seems to be depressed? We're going to address all of these uh, topics over the next few weeks. But as I wrap up today, I want to encourage you, you with this. I want you to understand that depression is, is complex. I said it before. Today, I'm, I'm basically just scratching the surface. But depression is complex. And if you find yourself and you truly are in a dark place, just listening to this series and praying along with us at the end of it, right, isn't going to be enough to turn you out of that depression. This isn't something anyone typically overcomes overnight. It's a process. I understand that, and I want you to understand that. But the first step is to really examine your own life. Really examine your own mental and emotional status. Getting honest with yourself. Getting honest with yourself. And getting honest with others, right? People that you can trust about where you are at emotionally. About where you are at, like the feelings that you have. 
and about some of the things that have been boiling up inside of you. The hurt, the ache, pain, the sadness, the numbness, the nothingness, the weakness. Because, hear me out, God won't heal what you won't reveal. God is not just going to jump onto the scene if you're not willing to bring it to the surface. He knows what you're going through. Don't get me wrong. He knows what you're going through. But he's not going to push himself on you. He's not going to push himself into the situation until you determine that you are in the situation yourself and that you want to get out of it. I love what this proverb says about this type of self-awareness in Proverbs 14.8. It says, the wise man looks ahead. The fool attempts to fool himself and won't face facts. So who are you? The wise one or the fool? In other words, take a look at the ways that you're acting out, big and small, and ask yourself, what, what's underneath this? What's really underneath this? And, and why am I trying to avoid this feeling or I'm facing? I read an article about child psychology as I, I prepared for this that I thought was kind of interesting. Well, actually, I, I thought it was actually brilliant. I knew more than I did. They talked about having a worksheet for kids to use when they're feeling like acting out or hiding, hiding out or numbing out to help them process and express their feelings beneath it all. And so this article began to talk about how what this this kind of a question or this phrase and how how kids should kind of fill in the blanks in order to help express what they're going through. And it goes like this is on the screen. I feel blank because of blank and I want to blank. So the feelings that I have, these are the reasons why I feel the way that I do, and this is what I want to do about it. And then the kids are supposed to say it aloud to themselves, and if possible, to the people it involves. I looked at this and I thought, man, I don't know how many adults do this. How many adults actually do this? Because I think this will help incredibly. So here are some journaling prompts to put you in touch with what's going on within you and find ways to talk about it to those that are close to you. Number one, what emotions do you avoid because you see them as unsafe, unacceptable, or inappropriate? 
What emotions do you avoid because you see them as unsafe, unacceptable, or inappropriate? And number two, what do you do to keep yourself from having to feel, fully feel them? What do you do to keep yourself from having to fully feel them? And because we are believers, we can trust that there is always hope. That there's always good news. Psalms 34, 18 says that the Lord is close to those whose hearts are breaking. He rescues those who are humbly sorry for their sins. Church, you are not alone in this endeavor, in this journey. God is with you. And so are we as a church. I won't pretend to know, to think that I have all the answers to all of your questions on this. But I will stand with you. I will walk this journey with you. We will walk this journey together. I will point you in the right directions. Because God does not want you to walk this journey alone.